Hey, what's up, guys? We have Paul Gallagher here. He is a uh, he has a history, a leadership history podcast. How's it going, Paul? How are you doing today? Good, Mike. How are you? Good. So, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm just uh, what we would call an amateur uh, historian. So myself and a friend of mine named Richie, we started a podcast this year called uh, the History in Motion podcast, where we cover um, leaders, but specifically um, decisions or kind of groups of decisions that they made throughout history. So we've talked about, um, for example, Harry Truman and his decision to drop the atomic bomb. So we kind of talk through the biography of the leader and how we kind of get to, um, you know, where they got to make that decision, like what things in their life would lead them to be the person that they were. And it's very interesting because we get to points of like what's in character for someone to make a decision versus what's not in character for someone to make a decision and like what constraints they're working with. And is it a hard decision, easy decision? Um, what the, what kind of legacy did they leave? So definitely kind of a, just a history buff and kind of always been a, a history buff kind of reading a million different things as a kid and probably watching every documentary I could get my hands on. But uh, yeah, definitely not a classically trained historian, but um you know, very an emphasis on the amateur side, but something I definitely love. Yeah. So uh, just out of curiosity, what's your day job? Because I know you had, you, you know, you just, you had to work late tonight and then yeah. so I was just curious, what do you do? Yeah. So I'm an engineer, um, okay. kind of working in um, the logistics industry. Okay, cool. I kind of guessed something like that, kind of like a, maybe like a computer science yeah. type guy or something, but it looks like you have like a good setup there. But um so yeah, speaking of the Harry Truman thing, did have you seen Oppenheimer yet? Not yet, because I've been trying to see it in the 70 millimeter and every time there's only two theaters near me that have it. And every time the tickets go on sale, they get they're sold out in like an hour. So I've got to I think time it perfectly right and try to get to see it. But um gonna try to see it as soon as I can. Yeah, I think I heard about that that like all of them were sold out. Where are you located? Um Toronto. Know? Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, based on like, do you know anything about the movie or no? Or like is it the type of thing where you don't really want to know anything until you see it, probably, right? So we did um a podcast and we timed it right as the as the uh, movie came out. So we did one on Oppenheimer. So I'm pretty familiar with the story. Um, don't know exactly how the movie's gonna portray it, but from what I've heard, it's it seems like it's a pretty good um representation of what actually happened. So yeah, okay. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I'm excited to finally get to see it. Cool. So yeah, like what I wanted to go over um, was, you know, I guess like evil leaders in history, I would imagine that most people would probably be are fascinated by, you know, Hitler and Stalin mm -hmm. and Genghis Khan and, and whoever else, even more modern leaders. So maybe we can start with, um, you know, start like the beginning and like kind of like move our way forward sure. through through the the evil leaders or maybe even like obviously you can go over the good ones too, but um Mm -hmm. Where where would you say the start of? I don't know if evil is the right word, but like you know, evil leaders would begin. Like yeah, um, yeah. Well, if you go back in time, right? Like by modern standards, they're pretty much all evil in the things that they would do. Of you know, you sack, you take a city and you you know rape and pillage for three days and three nights until you know say okay that's enough and half the city's dead and. Um, you know, the whole, all the loot of the city is gone. And that's just like, oh, that's normal for a lot of uh, leaders back in the day. But I think one guy that sticks out is um, if we go back to like the Roman emperors, because you have like really good documentation on who they were. And I think, you know, Nero gets brought up a lot. Caligula gets brought up a lot. But the one that we did a podcast on that was like, this guy's legitimately nuts was um, Commodus. So if anyone's seen the movie Gladiator, it's Joaquin Phoenix's character. So he would do things like um, he just 
didn't didn't care about the day-to-day of the empire would just spend all his money on being a gladiator and stuff like that but he would do things where he named all 12 he he changed his name to basically have 12 different names and then he renamed the months of the year based on his name he renamed the city of rome after him he renamed the army after him the people after him like it's just like ego to another degree where he's just like it's all about me and he was like fight as a gladiator um against like wounded soldiers like basically people would come out like half dead and he would just chop them all to death and just like just like complete like madness and then there was all these stories coming out of like he threw someone in like a burning oven or something like that and he would bring like um basically like handicaps people to his palace and you know do some really crazy like experiments on them and stuff and it's just like his father being Marcus Aurelius is maybe one of, you know, if anyone knows about like stoicism and like this, he's the ultimate, you know, thinking in, in, introspectively and thinking about like what's right and what's wrong. And then his son is just like the complete opposite. So it was, that was an interesting one. Cause you could kind of go from the just absolute two extremes, but I would say a yeah, Commodus is probably like when I think back to, you know, some of the craziest leaders that we can have, like Nero and, and Caligula come up for sure as, as having some evil elements to, but, um, I think Commodus was on another level. Yeah, like like in the movie, he has doesn't he have like Russell Crowe come out there and he like they like stab him or whatever, and then, yeah, and then he fights him. But then I'm pretty sure Russell Crowe's character like still yeah still wins in the end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so uh, some of those names were like in the Bible, right? Like I want to say that, like wasn't Nero in the Bible? I want to say or I don't know if he was in the Bible because the Bible. I think Augustus was the emperor when um, kind of the story of Jesus was going on. But the thing with Nero is I think he persecuted a lot of Christians and and Catholics. So I think there is a religious element to that um, because at the time Christianity was this fringe religion coming out of what I guess Judea at the time, which is Israel today and Palestine. And so that was starting to move West and the Romans being pagan. So believing in Jupiter and Mercury and, Apollo and all those gods um, trying to, you know, those, those two were kind of coming to a, to a head. And then as an emperor, you're seeing this new sect of a religion coming up um, and you see it as a threat. So there was a lot of pushback um, and very bloody pushback um, against the religion. So I don't think it was mentioned in the Bible, but there's definitely a religious connection between Nero and um, okay. Christianity. So Nero would have been after the Bible then, right? Like what you were so, talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I've heard stories too about Nero like putting like heads on um of people they killed like on spikes and then like as you walk to the city or whatever, like like you literally like walk by heads or something like that. Like is that I wouldn't be surprised. True? And that wouldn't even be crazy for back then, which is um kind of as messed up as that is. Like there's a story of um there's the story of Spartacus, which is a um he was a slave in the south of Italy who gathered up a bunch of slaves and had this slave rebellion, this massive army was just roaming around Italy for years. Um, and it took them a long time to actually catch them and stop them. And then when eventually they did, and this was before Rome was an empire. So this is when they were still a Republic. They, where they won the battle, they crucified, I think it was one slave every like hundred feet from where the battle was all the way back to Rome. So to your point of showing up to the city with heads on spikes, like this is even almost worse. There's, crucified men for miles and miles and miles just to kind of set an example of you know you don't mess with the roman republic when if you're a slave and you want to rebel like this is what's going to happen to you so um 
But again, that wasn't even that crazy for the time. It was just everybody is so brutal when it comes to war and the things that they would do that just kind of what happens. Like the craziness really comes into like the, the things an individual will do that people at the time were even writing was crazy. Like back then, everyone would be like, oh yeah, that's that's fine. The slaves deserved it. But there's some stuff like communists would have done and some Nero and Caligula that people are like, okay, this is even a little crazy for back then. Yeah. And don't you think that like you kind of have to be a little bit crazy even now to be like a, a leader? Like it's all, it almost has to be like built in, well, not necessarily, I guess, because you mentioned the stoicism guy like you can be a good leader too right yeah but like you definitely have to make some probably difficult decisions even if like you're like a quote-unquote like good leader like you know obama had to you know I, i've only heard of things you know like that he yeah. you know did drone bombings and all that yeah um but you to a certain extent you have to and same with like you said harry truman and Oppenheimer. Yeah. you have to be willing to essentially kill people even if it's not like necessarily Absolutely on your hands or like in your own land even if it's offshore like you have to give the you know press the red button or whatever and say yeah like yeah let's let's do it and that's one of the things we love talking about is those decisions right it's and truman's a perfect example of okay if i drop this nuclear bomb there are fifty thousand japanese men women and children who are going to die in a blink of an eye plus tens of thousands more who are going to die from nuclear fallout and cancer over the years however doing so stops essentially stops a war that would probably have gone on for two three four years longer um would have stopped famine throughout this um most parts of asia and saved probably more lives and as we were doing that podcast one thing we kind of noticed was like oh my god we're doing like this human arithmetic of like okay if i kill this many people it's going to save this many people And it's kind of like that analogy it's like if you're on a train and if it's going if you don't press any buttons it'll kill 10 people but if you press a button you kill one person so we we kind of found that like some great leaders like Truman in that sense would just be like, I had to push this button to put all this blood on my hands. And it's my job as a leader to take that on for the country and for the greater good, despite the fact it's such a terrible, terrible thing to do, but it was really his only option. He didn't really have the opportunity to do anything else. So um, yeah, it's, it's what makes a great leader is being able to kind of roll up their sleeves and say, I'm going to live with this decision, or I'm going to just commit to this decision and do it. Um, versus we see a lot of times leaders who will just kind of sit on the fence and not be sure what to do. And then end, they end up having to make a worse decision because the constraints have changed or, you know, people around them are different. Yeah. That's definitely one thing that I don't have is I think I definitely like, I always like will regret my decisions or like <laughs> feel guilty. I definitely, you know, like I can't stick to something. But so one other thing that I want to go over too, before we like move forward is the Bible. Like mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, as I think also a lot of people probably do like find the bible fascinating and like how much truth would you say is is to is in the bible like um yeah yeah it's a it's a tough one to say right because i think we know for a fact that um like the romans were in judea at the time um and like the romans definitely killed someone named jesus and then it's like the story around it and then the question is how much is written to kind of build the lore around someone like Jesus or Moses or something like that versus like, what do we know is um, like a hard fact. Um, I think most historians say Jesus definitely lived, was definitely a person, was definitely crucified and kind of went through that process. Some of the stories around it up for debate. Um, I know there's, there was some debate too around um, the story of Moses as well. I think 
is the story that the I think it's the Jewish population of Egypt moves in moves across the Red Sea. They haven't found any archaeological evidence to prove that that happened. So some people say we don't know for sure if it didn't happen, but we don't know for sure that it didn't happen. So it is hard to say, but I think definitely around the story of Jesus, there is a lot of truth to that and a lot of fact. Um, anything that kind of happens before, I would say, like from what I've seen, like we get all the details of Jesus in like the last five years of his life, and really before that, we don't really hear much till his birth. So I think there's maybe some debate on before that piece, but kind of the last piece is really well documented. So we can probably assume that there's a lot of truth, but it's been a story that's been told and retold billions of times over the last 2000 years. So, you know, things will change and you have to just kind of, <laughs> you know, where your faith kind of lies versus what kind of evidence you can find from, you know, archeological evidence and scriptures and different writings at the time. And the good thing is the Romans did leave pretty good records of things that happened. So there's some, some evidence to back it up, but to answer your question, I have no idea. <laughs> it's just, there's a lot of up in the air on, on what's true and what isn't. Yeah. As is with, you know, life in general, right? Like it's like, yeah. <laughs> what is, what is true and what's not, but um. Yeah, I actually just read, re I randomly saw this, but I read that like Moses, they think actually probably wasn't real, whereas Jesus probably was. I don't even know if that's for sure. I just like Googled that for some yeah. reason, like was, was Moses real? And um, so I kind of thought that was interesting, like where it's like, oh, like, so they're like, whoever wrote it, like kind of took part, like some of it's fact and, or some of it's true and some of it's not. And um but also like what do you think the what do you think their intentions and i know you're not like a biblical scholar but maybe i don't know hopefully this links into history yeah yeah but For like sure. um, what do you think their intentions were when writing it like do you think it was some sort of kind of like almost like i don't want to say money making scheme because i i don't even know if those went on back then but like that type of thing where it was like we're gonna like try and get everyone to believe in this or if it was maybe just on accident mm -hmm. or or maybe it was just like a book trying to like teach you how to like live your life or whatever. Like, do you think they had any intentions or do you, I mean, how do you think it all came to be? The from, way that from, it yeah. From what we've seen, at least from reading, you know, not just Catholic history, we've looked at Islamic history. We've looked at pagan history through Roman and Greek. Um, we've, but what we've really found is people really, really believed it back then. I think, I don't think anybody really wrote any of those religious texts for the point of, Hey, we're going to use this as a money-making scheme or a way to control people. I think it was one in a way to explain the world. So you hear the stories of um, like the Greek, the Greek myths, I think are some of my favorite because they almost personify every part of the earth. Like they have a, they'll have stories about like why the stars are the way they are or why, like, I think one of my favorite ones is why there's seasons, basically the goddess of um, like this, I mean, the goddess of, it's like weather or something like that, or whatever their fancy word for it is. Her daughter gets stolen by Hades, who's like the king of, or the god of the underworld. And she gets really upset. Um, and so her and Hades work out a deal where she gets to go into the underworld for um, four months of the year. But then the rest of the time she gets to come, or six months of the year, something like that. And then she gets to come back. And the goddess is really sad during the winter. That's why we have winter, because her daughter's not there. But then when spring comes along, she's getting excited because her daughter's coming back. And then summer's there and she's really happy because her daughter's back. But then the fall's coming and she's starting to get sad because she knows her daughter's going to leave. And it's a really just kind of interesting way of 
they don't know that the earth has a tilt. They don't understand the earth revolves around the sun, but they create these stories that get passed down to help explain the world. And so I think that's one piece. And then the other piece is you have just stories about life and about people. And so, you know, if Moses did exist or did not exist, what probably may have happened was there's a lot of stories um, that may have actually existed. And he kind of was the personification of different things. And then it just kind of became this kind of end story. So I think it really starts with a way to understand the world and then understand people. But then it really does become a way of unification and sometimes a way of control as well. Like we talked about Queen Isabella of Spain. She's known as the Catholic monarch. And her number one thing was, I'm going to make Spain fully Catholic. And she does it and she unifies the country and is able to get some actual stability and turn Spain into a superpower pretty soon after that. Um, before that, Spain had a bunch of different religions um, in the kingdom. So, you know, from, I would say, starting standpoint, explain the world, but then it definitely can be used for whatever tool the, the person wants it to do. And it's definitely a way of unification and keeping people together. Yeah. <clears throat> so moving forward, um, you know, I hear a lot about like, you know, um, I guess like a lot of it's, you know, I guess like communist, communism and fascism and yeah, where, um, who were some of the big, I guess we'll start with the communists first, because I think, I think that they were first before Hitler, but like, like Mao and, um, Stalin. Yeah. Um, I guess, could you go into kind of like the history of Mao and Maoism and all that, like the kind of like the Chinese, um, or just communism in general. And yeah. then, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I know very little about like when people talk about, you know, how there's all this like new kind of philosophical talk by like people like yeah. Jordan and stuff like that about like maoism and you know how like mm -hmm. people today are like you know communists or whatever you know what <laughs> yeah I mean? yeah um like and and um like so where is that kind of like stemming from i guess like mm -hmm. i guess what would be the start of communism and then yeah going into like mao and Stalin. yeah so so communism really started with an intellectual movement in western europe so this when i say like intellectual these are you know, PhD, really well-off um, individuals from Germany, Britain, different places like that. And Karl Marx is the the most popular. So you hear the word Marxism, and that really comes from yeah. Karl Marx's doctrine. He writes the Communist Manifesto and kind of just talks about how, you know, this is a world where capitalism is really starting to rise. And so previous to this, you saw a world where the nobility and the kings and the emperors owned everything. And the people owned pretty much nothing. And then the church was kind of this like third entity to it. But now we're getting to a point where capitalism is starting to rise. Um, the kings and emperors aren't owning as much anymore. And it's now like private industry is starting to grow. He basically writes this communist manifesto with like the main thing being um, that, you know, greed and everything like that is taking over and the individual people don't have the actual power. And so he kind of, puts this thought together that if every person is essentially equal is one way to think about it, you're never going to have this like class hierarchy. So one person can do one type of job and another person can do another type of job. And from a, I guess, governmental standpoint, like the government will own a lot of things. So when an industry booms, the government will make a bunch of money and then can just reinvest it back into the society versus it going into somebody's pocket. So he, that's kind of his idea. And that really moves into um, the Russian Revolution. And that's where it all starts. So the Russians had, um, they had something called a czar, which is like their king or emperor, whatever um, you want to call it. 
And so he's doing a terrible job. He's lost a bunch of wars. They're doing really poorly in World War One. And so there's a group called the Bolsheviks who basically rally um, a revolution in Russia and take over the country. And that's where communism really gets its first start. So you have like this, the USSR is created. So this socialist Soviet Republic. Um, and that's really kind of how it grows. And again, like their whole thing is, you know, everybody is kind of a comrade. That's how they say it is. You're a comrade, you're a comrade, which means we're all on the same level. Um, but what happens in the Soviet Union really quickly, and this is something that I think is a, a very fair criticism of, of communism is two things. One is, you know, we said, I was talking about the government will control everything and then decide how to distribute wealth. But then the thing is, who is that person who gets to decide? Everybody wants to be that person. So you start to get these power struggles happening. You start to get a lot of backstabbing. You get a lot of political instability. And, you know, around Stalin's time and Lenin's time, you see mass um, political prisoners. There's a whole prison system called the Gulag throughout the uh, Soviet Union, where millions of people are basically worked to death because they were just put in there as political prisoners. And then the other thing that you see is people who are successful are kind of looked at in a way of they must be cheating the system somehow. The only reason someone gets rich is because they cheated the system. And so what happens in Ukraine is they go after all these really rich peasants who are farmers. And then what happens is you have all your productive farmers are locked up in the gulag. So who's going to create food for you? You don't have anybody to create food for you. So you have thousands, I think millions actually of Ukrainians end up starving in the thirties. And that's kind of something you start to see with communism throughout all the way up till when it falls um, is, you know, you always see like the bread lines in Russia where people are just waiting for bread because there's no, all the productive people are kind of suppressed and they can't innovate. They can't build anything. And so that's kind of how the Soviet Union kind of, you know, falls apart, but I can go into Mao a little bit too as well, but that kind of, I guess that kind of, it's kind of how it gets started and maybe a bit about the ideology. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in terms of um, Stalin and then what was the other guy's name you said? Lenin. Um, Lenin. Yeah. Was Lenin first and then Stalin yeah. or Lenin was the essentially the leader of the revolution and then Stalin took over after Lenin. Okay. And then, yeah, I, I also thought it was, I probably really shouldn't, but it's like, I thought it was interesting that the, the Russians took from Marx, which is from Germany. Mm -hmm. um, I would almost, for some reason, think that they would want like their own guy to come up with <laughs> you the think, idea, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's like, I, I guess they didn't really care that he was from, <laughs> from Germany. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people who are fighting for whatever they were fighting for, I don't think they're thinking, oh, Karl Marx said this. They're really following Lenin in that group. Um, and it, whatever Lenin, they call it like Leninist or Leninist socialism or exactly what the term is, but it's really, he's taking what Marx is saying and then twisting it in a way that makes sense for him and works for what the Russian people want. So it's not, you know, like we see in Germany where everyone's got a um, Hitler's book, Mein Kampf on hand, and they know exactly what to do because Hitler said it. It's not like people in the Soviet Union are reading the Communist Manifesto and really, sorry, in Russia are making sure that they know what Karl Marx said, we're going to follow him um, exactly. It's more kind of a, a mix on that plus what the Russian people really wanted and what Lenin was pushing in his group of people. Yeah. And then moving on to Mao, I guess, would, would, would that be after yes um stalin okay yeah so one thing so how a lot did of people, that come to be yeah so one thing a lot of people don't really give credit to and it's something i'm guilty of as well is the amount of fighting that happened during world war ii in china so if you look at the numbers of deaths um across uh the entire war i think it's the soviet union was number one germany might be number two 
but I think China is either second or third in terms of casualties because they've been fighting the Japanese since the early to mid thirties. Um, there's some horrendous violence that happens, but China is a pseudo democratic kind of corrupt country at the time, but essentially they fight this really long war against Japan, the Western allies, the United States, Britain, Canada, France are all on the side of China and they're trying to help the Chinese push back the Japanese. But what happens is, as we know, in May 1945, Germany is defeated. So the Soviet Union have now freed up. And if you look at a map, you have Germany on the Western Front. If you go all the way to the East, Japan and the Soviet Union are very, very close to each other. So Roosevelt actually has been really pushing the Russians to come help in Japan. So they actually, I think it's in um, the summer of 1945, invade northern China to try to kick the Japanese out. They invade into Korea as well, which is Japanese controlled. And then they start moving into China and then eventually the war ends. So that's why we have North Korea and South Korea because at the end of the war, the Soviets are in North Korea pushing communism and trying to back communist-based leaders where the Americans and the Western allies are trying to push democratic uh, leaders. And that's why we get the Korean war about five years later. Then if we think what's happening in China is China has just been ravaged by this war um, this, the country's in shambles, the economy's in the toilet, people are looking for someone for leadership, and then that just goes right into the Chinese civil war. And that's where you have the democratic, and again, I'm kind of doing air quotes here, democratic system um, that's backed by the Western allies, and then you have Mao and his group um, that are backed by the Soviet Union. And Mao ends up winning that civil war and taking control of the country. And then that is where um, Mao really instills this communist view um, onto China which exists to an extent today. It's definitely become more capitalist in China than it once was. But Mao, when we look at pure body count, he is number one and it's not even close. I think he's at like 60 million deaths or even maybe more. The, the estimates are all over the place. So he had, there was a lot of famine that happened. He did some like crazy stuff. Like there's, I think he had them, it was like they, asked the Chinese people to like start killing like robins or sparrows or something like that for some reason. I don't remember the exact reason, but they did like some really weird stuff of like collectiveness of this is what we need to do as a country. And it was very just, you know, everybody's kind of at the same level. Everyone's needs to kind of do the same thing. And he just kind of ruled with an iron fist would um, put these policies in that would cost ma cause massive famine. We see a lot of Chinese people die as a result. And it's, um, you know, I encourage the listeners to look up some of the crazy stuff that he did because it's, it really kind of is Russia, but like on a grander scale um, when it comes to just absolute chaos when it, um, in terms of death and political prisoners and famine and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it sounds like Mao was, well, I mean, I think that they were all kind of evil or bad, but do you think there's a part of them that like was originally pro like intending on doing good? I think so. And the one thing I've, I've noticed with the communist leaders is the way they all got into power was through war, typically civil war, civil unrest, backstabbing, working their way through the system, pushing their, pushing their way to power through nefarious methods. And every single one of them is paranoid as hell. So I know Stalin, for example, like if you looked at him wrong, you'd be dead in the morning just because he wouldn't trust you. Like why keep you around? So I think there's this paranoia element that comes into it too. So they are so upset. They maybe had an idea of, Hey, I'm going to do great things, but then they get into power and they're just so concerned about a being having their throats slit in their sleep, 
but also just keeping hold of power and they'll do anything to keep hold of power. Um, and they may think deep down that, Hey, if I'm in power, good, better things will happen than if another guy's in power, or they're just, I want power because I just have a huge ego. And ultimately if I'm not in power, I'm probably dead as well. So it also becomes like a survival tactic. And then when you're just trying to survive, all bets are off. So I can't speak for, you know, was Stalin really having thoughts of being a good person and Mao having a good person, they just mess it up possibly. I like to think everyone's got a little bit of good in them and they're not all just crazy, but I don't know. <laughs> the track record isn't great. Yeah. Looking at it now, like, do you think one option is better than the other in terms of capitalism or communism? I guess there's also socialism. Like what are the other options, I guess? Are those like the main three kind of, or. Yeah. I'd say those are the main kind of three that we see in a, in a modern world. So I, the way I look at it is like, you have capitalism, like if you had pure capitalism, you wouldn't have, for example, police force, you wouldn't have firefighters. You would have to call up your private security or you have to call up your private fire department because everything is controlled by a corporation where communism is the cars are made by the government. The um, energy is made by the government. The computers made by the government, everything. And then socialism tries to find that balance. So I there's definitely not one is not better than the other. It's all about finding that balance. Um, like I'm in Canada versus like the United States. Like I think the United States is a little bit more capitalist than Canada would be. We're a little bit more socialist just because we have like socialized medicine, for example. Um, so I think it's all about finding that balance. So um, there's definitely places where you want to have more regulation on the capitalist side, but on this, you don't want to have so much regulation that industry is constrained. And then you start to run into shortages when it comes to, you know, necessary goods for, you know, housing is one thing that we look at right now. The government's been very controlling on what you can build where and all that kind of stuff. And now we're running into some shortages. So there's some conversations around like, is it overregulated, underregulated, all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely like a political argument. I'm sure some people will think one way or another, but from what we've seen in history, it's um, definitely cap communism does not work. We we've have enough history to prove that um, democracy is definitely the best of all the systems. Capitalism has done some really great things, but again, it's one of those things that has to be checked and make sure that it just doesn't run free. And um, you, we see that, you know, throughout history too, where industry takes over and has way more influence on politics and stuff that it really should. And sometimes it needs to get dialed back. Yeah. And like, do you think there's like a, a possibility for like utopia ever, like where everybody's just kind of happy and like, we've kind of figured out a way to make everyone happy. Like there, I think I've heard that like, you know, AI is supposed to kind of like um, cure capitalism or whatever, or like defeat capitalism. <laughs> um, do you think we'll ever get to that point where it's just kind of like, we kind of finally come up with like a good uh, solution to all the world's problems? I would like to think so, but um, I've read too many science fiction books that tell me the opposite. So I'm going to go with probably not on that one. Yeah, it's actually the opposite. The AI uh, ruins us as opposed to, <laughs> yes, as that opposed too. to helps us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, going forward into, I guess next would, correct me if I'm wrong, but next would probably be Hitler and World yeah. War II, right? Mm -hmm. Can you go over kind of um, Hitler and how he, his, you know, his rise to power and all that maybe a little bit? Yeah, I think with Hitler is an interesting one because I, I, again, I don't, I, we always say Hitler's crazy and he was a psychopath. He probably was. Um, again, I'm not a psychiatrist. So I can't definitely give you a psychiatric breakdown as much as I'd love to. But the thing with someone like Hitler is people like that don't get to power unless there is some 
I guess, opening for them to jump into. And the way that works with Germany is we have to go back to World War One. So World War One ends, Germany loses, and the Western powers have a decision to make now. They said, what are we going to do with Germany? Um, the United States wants to be easy on them. They're like, look, we need to help Germany get back on their feet as an economy, because if not, they're going to run into, you know, potentially become communist or they might, something else might happen. Um, Britain's like, yeah, I don't want to be too easy on them. Like we lost a lot of men. We should be a little bit harder on them. And then the French want to destroy Germany and essentially bury them um, economically. And so the Treaty of Versailles signed. And what happens is there's actually a line in the Treaty of Versailles that says, basically says that Germany accepts full responsibility for World War I. And so for those who know a little bit about World War I, it wasn't just Germany. It was actually Austria-Hungary who declared war on Serbia. And then Germany was allied with Austria-Hungary. And then Britain and France said, hey, we're allied with Serbia and we're going to protect them. And it just was a powder keg that kind of blew up. So A, now we've put all the blame on Germany. And then we were saying, you need to pay back everything to all the countries for all the, all the destruction that you guys caused. So this puts Germany in just basically destroys their economy they have hyperinflation so you'll see pictures of like people going to buy bread and they have wheelbarrows full of money because the money is worth so little you you'll need you know tens of thousands of marks to buy a loaf of bread so the economy is in the toilet the great depression is hitting germany really really hard and so people don't know where to look their lives are in ruins every they see no hope and then a guy comes along and he says I'm going to fix all of your problems and we can blame it on some group of people. And that's the Jews. And then everyone's like, well, look at that. That's, you know, if I don't know why all these terrible things are happening, but if we can blame the French and the, and the Western allies, and we can, and we can kick the Jews out of the country and do some other terrible things to them as well, that's going to fix all of our problems. And then this kind of mind virus takes over the country where everybody's trying to make sense of what's going on and just kind of starts to see this, um, group identity come of where this the Nazi party, German identity, strong Germany, and then Hitler starts to just kind of be more aggressive and starts to push the buttons a little bit of the Western powers. And then he realizes he gets he can get away with it. They're not they're not doing anything. Like he takes part of Czechoslovakia. They're like, hey, what are you doing? You can't do that. And he's like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna stop me? They're like, no, not really. No, we don't want to fight a war. Don't, but don't do anything else. He's like, yeah, I'm not gonna take anything else. And then he'll just take He'll take the rest of Czechoslovakia like a month later and then eventually invades Poland and that kind of creates the war. And the thing with Hitler is, you know, the, the Germans loved him. They thought he was this savior to the country. But what happens very quickly with, with Hitler is he doesn't know where to stop. He keeps pushing things. He keeps pushing things. He keeps pushing things. And then as we kind of go back to Stalin and Mao, how they are kind of worried about losing their power. And this is something that happens across history. You can go all the way back to the very first documented leaders. As soon as they feel that they're going to get assassinated, they just something something clicks in their head and they become just more and more psychotic. They're worried about everything. They're paranoid as hell. And they start to just do some really crazy things. And that's when we see with Hitler is right after um, there's a movie with Tom Cruise called uh, Valkyrie that talks about the... Um, one of the times they tried to assassinate him, like a, essentially put a bomb under his desk, it blew up and it, he ended up surviving because I think it was like the table was really heavy or something and took most of the blast. But after that, he just starts killing generals that he thinks might be um, going to plot against him and stuff like that. So it really moves into this direction. And then the whole piece with the Holocaust, I think, is just he 
don't even really know how you can justify what was going on in his head. It was just this hatred and even disgust for another group of people. And it's like, I need to exterminate them. Like you would, you know, exterminate like a, like a house that has like bugs or something in it. Like it's, that's really what he saw the Jewish people as. So again, that's a really just like twisted mindset of you put all the blame on one group of people. And now I take them and turn them into essentially vermin. So yeah, I don't know how you can even, you can't rationalize something like that. No. And um, what do you think his main reason was? I think that's the biggest question that I always have is like, why, you know, and so many, so many people have gone, you know, after the, the Jewish people. And um, I've heard that, like, I've heard, you know, like he got rejected by some Jewish person when he was younger, like he was trying to be an artist or something. But then I've also heard that like the Jewish people, I guess, were like pretty good at like, kind of like, creating their own businesses and like kind of like only helping yep. out their own communities or something. Um, but then you also said, you mentioned before that like, yeah, if we could just blame the Jews, but yeah, what do you think his main intention was for kind of going after them one? And then two, a, a, a big question that I have also with the Jewish people is, and I know this, a lot of this can like just sound insensitive. Yeah. yeah I know it's you're, like you're almost anything it. is, you know what I mean? But it's like mm-hmm. um, anything about that subject is, but um it seemed like a lot of Jewish people that I know today, they just look like white. You know what I mean? I wouldn't even be able to yeah. tell they're Jewish. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, like, is there like, I, it's like, obviously you don't want to like go against your religion or your ethnic group, but it's like, could you almost just kind of like hide in plain sight type thing? Like where you're like, oh, I'm, you know, just to survive essentially. Like I'm, I'm not Jewish or whatever. Um, yeah. How, I guess, how do they make sure that the people were, you know what I mean? I, I know that, I think I've heard that they put kind of like, I want to say like red something on them, or I don't know what color it was, but like they kind of yeah. like marked them or whatever, but yeah. Well, I know from, to your second point, just quickly on that, yeah. like the easiest thing they would do is Germans would roll in, they would go to a local synagogue and be like, give me a list of names. And you're right, because people would hide. Um, they would take children in and say, oh yeah, this is our daughter. Um, but you know, the Germans are very, very good at their documentation. And they understand like, well, you have birth certificates, stuff like that. So there's people forging documents to pretend that this person is actually part of their family and stuff like that. So yeah, back in the day, like, and that's why it's such a silly concept is everybody just looks the same and is everyone's a human, but for whatever reason, you know, your religion matters, but I can kind of go back to like why the history of anti-Semitism is, is really fascinating. Kind of sad to be honest, more than fascinating is throughout Europe. um, You see just the Jewish, um, you could call it a race, um, but really is a religion, but it is kind of treated as a race. I think you kind of have to see it kind of hand in hand, just to understand the history of it is throughout Europe. You have this Catholic and Christian minority or sorry, majority. And the Jewish population is always a minority wherever they go. And so what starts to happen is in, for example, in Spain, Queen Isabella, like I mentioned earlier, she kicks out all the Jewish people. Cause she's like, if you're not Catholic, get out. And so people just leave. Right. And so there's always this conversation about, um, Jewish people always getting kicked out of where they're from and then trying to find a place to settle. Um, and so eventually kind of what happens is you get these Jewish communities who are really strong because they realize that they need to stick together and be really strong within their communities. If they're going to be able to cement themselves wherever they are, because who knows, some guy named Hitler might show up and decide that, you know what, you guys are, we've had enough. And this is the trend you see um, throughout history. So the reason like someone like we see like 
um, the Jewish population doing really well and successfully is there's a need for it. And if they don't do it, they're leaving themselves open to some higher power from the government or a another corporation or something kind of kicking them out. And there are a lot of those companies and different things that kind of grow in Germany at the time to re- that are really Jewish led. And then it's so easy to point to because it's like, see this company that's run by Jewish people and is doing really well and you're doing really poorly. It's the only reason they're in power is because of some nefarious, you know, silly thing. And it's just easy to point to because it puts everybody in box A versus everybody in box B. And the box A is much bigger than box B. And box A seems really happy because they can point the finger and not actually have to, you know, really look at the real problems. So it's a tale as old as time is just we as humans like to group people, ourselves and other things to say we're part of group A or group B. And it just kind of helps us understand the world. But it also has a really dark side to it, which we saw in the Holocaust of this group is the cause of all of our problems. And, you know, the rest is history, unfortunately. Yeah. And like, were the, were the Jewish people even like fighting at, oh, yeah. in, in the in World War II? They were. So Israel was Absolutely. part of World War II and Jewish people were in, even within the country where they were fighting back kind of. So Israel didn't become a country until after World War II. So essentially, um, you have Jewish people living in America, you have people living in Western Europe. So there'd be Jewish people fighting in the American army, British army. Um, and then you also have um, without throughout the German or sort of the Nazi occupied territories, you actually have groups of Jewish people who have managed to evade the Nazi and SS and Gestapo um, groups and are actually fighting guerrilla wars alongside resistance fighters in those countries um, to try to you know, smuggle um, Jewish people out of the country to safety or to just fight back and kind of run a guerrilla war. Um, so when you really think of the Jewish population, it's very scattered throughout um, the United States and all parts of Europe. And so what happens after the war is essentially the Jewish population is realized, okay, enough is enough. We need a, a Jewish state because who knows if we go to a different country again, and then there's another crazy guy who gets in power and starts blaming us for everything again, we could have another Holocaust on our hands, or we could have something really terrible. Cause like the United States had a lot of anti-Semitism, like the whole world had a lot of anti-Semitism. And so that's where you kind of have um, the, the state of Israel come up. So there was, it was a British colony. Um, it was the British colony of Palestine. And then a lot of Jewish people moved in and, and there was a, like a civil war with like the British and then um, the Arab states around there. And eventually the Jewish population won and Israel became a country. And it's a really fascinating history because like it was so close to not being a country. There were so many times where they could have just been steamrolled by the Arabs, but like they just held on just long enough to kind of get things settled and consistently having to fight back against oppressors around all sides and eventually started to get help from um, Western nations. But for the longest time, like America wanted nothing to do with Israel when it first started. They're like, look, we've had enough of war. We want to stay out of it. And so they really were isolated. And it is a very fascinating story about just, you'll see about American um, veterans who are coming back from World War II who are Jewish hearing about Israel and finding a way to sneak over to to the Middle East and actually go fight on behalf of um, the new Jewish state that they're creating. So it is an interesting story that I'd encourage everybody to look up. Yeah, so it's like they were fighting, but it, like they weren't really fighting as part of any type of specific um, country, because Israel wasn't a country at the time. So it was like they were like fighting for America, and they were fighting for different yeah. different countries. And even within Germany, they were fighting against, like all yeah. the people were fighting against the the Nazis essentially within yeah. the country. Yeah, they were yeah. just 
regular people just happened to be a different religion. And, you know, they were, you'd have like a, a battalion in the U S army. You might have a few Jewish people, you might have a few Christian people. You may have some non-religious people. You have a mix of everything. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like we see today where we have a Jewish state of Israel, nothing like that existed and was created for, you know, the reasons we've talked about. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm kind of, um, yeah. And then, um, yeah, there's there's a thing with like the Jewish people that it kind of like confuses me a little bit because, um, like they're they're a religion but they're also a race. Like I'm, you know, I was like raised Christian, mm-hmm. but it's like you don't really look at other people and and say, oh, that person. I guess you can say looks like a Christian or whatever. But like yeah. with Jewish people, it's kind of hard for me to like. It's always hard for me to like explain what I'm trying to say here. But it's like mm-hmm. there's a certain look they have, and so it's like they they all came from like a certain area, right? Which was essentially like the Israel area around like Jesus's time, but then they all kind of spread out. Right. So. Yeah. yeah um, so is, is Judaism started in, in Judea. So that would be kind of around Palestine today. And then, yeah, like any, anything, Christianity started there as well and kind of moved out. It's, it's funny. All three of the big religions really started within like a small area of the world, like Islam, um, Christianity and, and Judaism all kind of started the same area, which is, just very fascinating, which is why Jerusalem is such an important city and is known as like the holy city. And so, yeah, you have a lot of people spreading out, um, but then you have um, a lot of the immigrants that come to the United States are actually typically from like Eastern Europe. Um, and then you also have, um, so there's like kind of like different sects within Judaism. So I'm not, a, I'm not really an expert on kind of how they, they break out, but yeah, you see a lot of mass migrations of, from Judaism and the difference being versus Christianity or Islam is it, Christianity and Islam are more about spreading their religion. So you'll see, you know, Spain comes to the new world with missionaries and that's why all of Latin America, it's very Christian. Um, but Judaism never really has that. It's more of a kind of, we're not trying to spread Judaism to everybody. It's more of, if you want to come into the religion, you can, and there's ways to do so, but it's not this kind of this kind of numbers game. I would say that you would see from the other two major religions. So is that maybe why they kind of tend to look similar is because they're not trying to get everyone to be like Jewish, like, um, like Christianity is like, I'm not, know, yeah, I'm not really sure. It might just be a lot of people coming from the same part of the world, um, at kind of around the same time. And yeah, maybe that, yeah. that's part of it, but yeah, I'm not, not an expert on kind of those migration patterns. Yeah. So going forward, and I'm trying to, you know, get trying to get all this in within an hour, but um, mm-hmm. going forward to, I guess, like it, next would be kind of like Saddam Hussein, right? And then like all the um, kind of like the Middle Eastern type, the, mm-hmm. the wars, in the, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and 9 11. Yeah. If you can kind of, I guess, quickly go over all that. And I mainly kind of focused on, I guess, I guess, mainly focus on, one, do you see the America? Because I hear a lot about how America, when we went into Afghanistan and the Middle East, like we said we were doing good or we were going for 9 11, but mm-hmm. really we had like our own reasons. Mm-hmm. And then, and even like people have said that like we kind of started Al Qaeda or whatever, like we kind of like <laughs> turned these people into, we kind of made these gangs come about because we were there, I guess, right? These groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I know that's kind of like a lot. And then if you could also cover <laughs> what's going on currently between yeah. um like Israel and Palestine is that like you also hear about that. It's like it's kind of like I, 
I quote unquote like want to be on the Jewish side, but then you hear like Israel is being very mean to Palestine, but then Palestine, mm-hmm. like almost like a bully to Palestine. So I guess I guess to summarize it all, if you can cover like a lot of what's going on like in the Middle East, um, mm-hmm. I know that was a lot, but I'm I'm trying yeah, yeah. to get get to that and then get and then ideally get to like our current state of um, mm-hmm. leadership. Yeah, I think with kind of what's going on today, it's it's still hard to know for sure. Like, it's very interesting. A lot of the stuff we research, we find out that, like, something was... So a good example is we learned a lot when we did the Harry Truman episode um, about the Japanese government. And there was documents that were, like, released in, like, the mid-90s from the Japanese government and declassified and from, like, um, the, I think after the Soviet Union fell and you got all these documents that came out and you learned, like, oh, my God, that's actually what was going on. So... It's hard to say for sure kind of who did what and who started what today, because I think we'll know if we have this conversation in 50 years when, you know, all of the documentation and, you know, secret messages and stuff are declassified for public consumption, whenever that date does come, um, we'll know a lot more. But I think with the Middle East, it's it's one of those things where there has been, I think you have a lot of co- um, colonialism kind of in the area too, um, with the British kind of being involved. Um, that kind of helped destabilize the region. You also have two versions of um, Islam that kind of are competing against each other as well. So you kind of have like proxy wars happening, like Iran versus Saudi Arabia and stuff like that. Um, and then when it comes to like leaders, like I look at someone like Saddam Hussein and, you know, we see it through history where when things aren't, I guess I can even go back to like Machiavelli. So Machiavelli was a Renaissance writer and he basically wrote um, a novel that talks about how to be a great, like how to be a great leader. And if you had a choice, would you rather be loved or feared? And he came to the conclusion and said, you should be feared because if you're feared, no one can overthrow you. You can, you can put stamp your foot on people if you really need to and keep power when you're loved, you might be seen as weak and someone could take, take over. Obviously you want to find a balance between the two, but he's like, if you had to choose. And so someone like Saddam, where He's in a in an environment that's he's got you know he's just fought a war against Iran. He has Israel to deal with. Saudi Arabia is getting very very rich off oil. Um, you know the Soviet Union's pretty close by as well. American interests are in the area. For him to kind of keep control, I think he sees it as I need to rule with an iron fist. Um, didn't work out well for him in the end, but I think that's just kind of a common tactic. And I, I do, again we'll find out more about. I'm sure as time goes on about who Saddam was more as a person and like what the U S was really seeing with him and what the Western powers were seeing and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's, it's really hard to say, I think at this point, just because we don't know for sure, all the, all the interworkings, what was going on inside those governments. Yeah. As far as the Machiavelli thing, I mean, I kind of almost got a, I don't really, obviously, you know, way more about him than than me but when i hear the term machiavelli and i almost think of being like sneaky or almost like political yeah. where it's like i'm to your face being nice to you and like but really i'm trying to like get something from you yeah is that would that be the overall um idea from him or would it be more of like just try and be as like feared as possible yeah i think there's you could say kind of like kind of the interworkings of a political maneuver if it's you know, you may, uh, if even on the surface, you're being yeah, very nice and very friendly, but the guy you're talking to knows that if you say the wrong thing, you know, you might not wake up the next morning or you may be exiled or something like that. Um, so there's definitely that element to it. Machiavelli kind of covers a lot of different topics, but that, yeah, is kind of his main one. And that term from like a psychological standpoint, 
has kind of grown throughout time as that piece of what he's saying of, yeah, you really do need to be feared. Okay. So yeah, I kind of thought it was more of almost like a fake nice thing, but it's really kind of like, I remember like watching breaking, it just came to my mind watching mm-hmm. breaking bad. And I don't know if you've seen it. I'm assuming I have, you yeah. have, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Walter White, I think it was the part where Walter White was like maybe threatening or something to like poison the kid or he did. I don't even remember, but it was like that really messed up part. Mm-hmm. And whatever was going on, my friend was saying it's like it's like Machiavellian or whatever, where it's like, yeah, you're kind of like 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 you just said, like you're like, or what what's the term that like one of the presidents used, like like speak softly but carry a big stick type thing. Yeah. Where it's like you want to like you want to make people fearful of you but you don't want to be like obvious about it i guess like yeah. you just want to be scary kind of mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's, so, it's like kind of that you're you're kind of very kind of calm and collected with your emotions but really in the back of your head you're kind of scheming a little bit or you're sitting in the corner of the room and just kind of watching everything happen and you're kind of maneuvering well you know the people who are yelling at each other you're like okay i know what he thinks i know what he thinks i know what he thinks but nobody knows what i think and that's like a classic kind of like political standpoint. Like if you're in a negotiation room back in the day and you're the one that's just kind of sitting and listening, nobody really knows what you're thinking. You could be scheming. And that's also why Stalin, if you didn't, there was Stalin, there was always a thing. If you spoke too much, he thought you were arrogant and cocky and he would have you killed. If you didn't speak enough, he thought you were scheming and it would have you killed. So everyone was trying to find this balance of, okay, I'm going to say a little bit and then I'm going to stop talking. So Stalin knows that I'm not overconfident, but I'm going to let him know what I'm thinking. So he doesn't think I'm scheming. Yeah. So as far as the 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 whole 9-11 thing, us going there mm-hmm. after and then kind of staying for so long. And I've heard stories about how we were like, but I don't know if any of it's true, but it's like how we supposedly were there. So I've heard stories of how we were there for like drugs, like heroin or something. Yeah. Um, um, but then I've also, you know, there's the, there's like the the truthful aspect, which is like we were really there because 9-11. Then there's like we were there for drugs. <laughs> Or it was like we were just, or it was like we were there just to try and keep peace, or maybe like try and get them to actually like get their shit together. And like, mm-hmm. I guess you could say like globalize or whatever. But it's like, what I mean, what what do you think our, our true intentions were with that? It's a great question. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Nobody I think, knows. yeah, nobody knows. And it's one of those things. And again, I can just give historical examples of there's always an incentive. There's always everybody who's got their hand in the, in a pot. Everyone's always trying to to find a way how they can gain from a certain event. And sometimes people go in with great intentions and it ends up just being a, a terrible place or a terrible decision. Um, or they just come in with, hey, we're going to steal everything and, and run off with a sack of gold. And that's just the way it's going to be. Um, yeah, I think it might be one of those things where you go in with good intentions, but then, you know, special interests get involved and different things happen. But yeah. I don't. I have no idea, but I will be very fascinated when I'm an when I'm an old man and I hear the, you know, documents about the invasion of Afghanistan have been declassified. I'll have a lot of reading to do because I think that's that'll be when we'll learn a lot. Yeah, and then so moving forward into uh, I guess now maybe like Israel and Palestine. I think it's like easiest, like you know, like when I said evil before, it kind of is like a maybe a dumb word to use, good or bad, but everybody I think kind of wants to know, I think everybody wants to be on the good side. Right. And it's like, who's, Mm -hmm. who's correct in that situation. Is it Israel or is it Palestine? Obviously, you know, there's probably really not maybe a true answer, but what's going on there now? Like, do you think you, do you personally feel like one side is, um, you know, 
doing more wrong to the other side or is it just kind of a back and forth war that's been going on forever and yeah it's a story as old as time i think fighting over the holy land right it goes all the way back to um you know roman settlements there and you know um jewish rebellions and then we go back to the crusades and you know, fighting over jerusalem the muslims and the catholics and the christians and everything like that it's just that area of land will just it's never seen peace and it may never see peace unfortunately um you definitely can't say one way or another that one group is right versus another i think from a, a political standpoint you say hey israel is the only democracy in the middle east but you know for a lot of palestinian people that's been their home for thousands of years they've they've lived there their grandparents have lived their great-grandparents have lived there and like we talked about there's um a lot of jewish people who have moved there um and kind of moved their way into certain areas and then you get kind of battles between you know whose land is this really um from a you know legal perspective or religious standpoint um and so it's really all about point of view um at that point i think the only way forward there is both sides need to figure out you know a compromise in some way but that goes against kind of you know, you've been fighting a war for 75 years um to kind of just say hey we're good and we're going to draw the lines here and, and move along so definitely can't say one side is is right versus another but um i think yeah it's just that's that part of the world and for whatever reason i think just the multiculturalism of all the different religions saying that this area is our holy land um it's and it just i don't know it brings something out of people that um, it becomes so important and for, you know, we talked about the Jewish people, they needed a, a, a home of their own after World War II, you know, as we, as we saw, but the Palestinians are rightful to say, hey, we were here first. Um, you know, we say, when I say we were here first from like a country perspective, but then you can go all the way back to, like I was saying, the Roman times and the Jewish religion is older than the Islamic religion. And then it just becomes a whole nother thing. So again, where do you draw the line? I have no idea, but um, I definitely wouldn't come away with this thing. One side is right versus another. It's just, it's an unfortunate conflict. And I think it's just that part of the world. And it's, it's always seems to be um, at war in some, some capacity. Yeah. It kind of seems like when you, as like, especially probably from like a historical viewpoint, like, it, like you're very good at being like unbiased, whereas I feel like nowadays, you know, we, we get into the whole, one side is right, one side is wrong. You yeah. have to pick sides, type thing. Um, well, I'm sure that's how it's always been, but for sure, recently it's been more of that. But so, in terms of the Holy Land, real quick, um, yeah, what exactly makes it the Holy Land? Like, is it the fact that everything that happened when Jesus was there, or does it go even before that to like the, um, I guess like Moses and all that? Like, I mean, how far back does that go? Even Abraham? Like, I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah. So I don't know if about Moses and, and Abraham exactly if there's like a, a specific location around Jerusalem that, that that's considered, but I know the Temple of Solomon um, was in Jerusalem and that was like the first big Jewish holy site. Um, so you had just had a lot of Jewish people there. You had the high priests um, were there. Um, it was a major city within Judea, um, which was the kind of the region at the time. And then, yeah, Jesus comes along and he uh, happens to be in the region as well himself being Jewish, but then also creating this new religion that spreads from that area and all the apostles moving out of that area. And then just by, I don't really understand how this seems to happen, but Muhammad, who's the founder of the Islamic religion is also from there. And there's kind of a, a story that he ascends into um, the afterlife um, out of, I think it's the temple of Solomon, which ended up becoming a mosque um, all within Jerusalem. So this, these 
core stories of these three major religions all just happened in Jerusalem. And then so many different factors saying that, you know, if the Christians are the ones to own this, we're making God happy and the Pope is happy um, versus the Jewish people are like, Hey, we, this was our land first. So we want to be here where the um, Islamic people in the area are also fighting against different things. And it's just, yeah, I think just from a, it's just if very interesting how kind of just all three kind of start from a very small area in the Middle East versus, you know, didn't happen in, we don't see coming out of China, which was like one of the most sophisticated country um, civilizations in the world, or really starting in Rome where everybody's kind of a little bit more sophisticated, it just all happened there. And it's just kind of fascinating. I don't really know why, but it just kind of did. <laughs> and it happened to be within that exact city of Jerusalem, right? Like, that's what's yeah, it's not even like the area, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah, I would say Jerusalem is the the main, like, in is um in the Islamic faith, you have Medina and Mecca, which are in Saudi Arabia, which are also very holy cities. But Jerusalem also has um, a very huge histor- um, religious, I guess, element to the Islamic religion as well. But again, Mecca and Madeira are not far away from Jerusalem. They're all kind of within that neck of the woods. So. And was Jerusalem like the biggest, that's probably part of it, right? Jerusalem was probably the biggest city at the time. So everybody probably just maybe, maybe I don't even know, but everybody kind of like flocked there. Kind of like now it would be New York or LA or whatever. Like, Yeah, I'd be interesting actually to look up like why, why cities are founded is always a fascinating thing of just like, yeah. oh, it was a trading post or it was a military outpost or whatever. Um, it wasn't the biggest city at the time. Like you'd have cities like Rome, you'd have Alexandria in Egypt. Um, some of the Greek cities were quite large as well. Um, even some of the Chinese cities got, got pretty large, but, um, it was yeah, definitely a major city. Um, you know, we, it was under, you know, we look back at the crusades, it was, you know, under siege for months because it was such a large city and took a long time to take, um, you know, huge, huge populations in there as well. So yeah, there's something about that place that just, you know, it just kind of brings the you know peak of religiosity to to all the people around the world yeah for some reason i'm like interested in that is that is an interesting thing is like what started the city and i think like las vegas for some reason i've always kind of like wanted to like <laughs> a deep dive on the history of las vegas because yeah i heard that about it where it was like it started as literally just two like yeah. roads maybe and then like you know like you said a trading post or whatever and then mm-hmm. next thing you know it's this huge like gambling mecca in nevada yeah but um, so lastly, and we'll wrap it up. Um, in terms of current um, current leadership, um, how would you say that is going? Like you, you know, you obviously you got Trump. I mean, I feel like the world kind of almost it seems like this looks to America. It's almost like you have other you have other countries yeah. like talking about America's politics. You know, everybody is like Canada, yeah. and um. So it seems like the big one would be like Trump, you know, Biden, you got, yeah, and then you got Trudeau in Canada. So, um, mm-hmm. and then I guess if you want to go over any of the other ones too, um, I don't know if there's as much evil stuff going, I mean, there is, and I would, I was going to say earlier, I kind of feel like most, I, I once again, hate to use the term evil or bad or good, mm-hmm. but some of the worst stuff seems to be coming from the Middle East. And it's like, in terms of them, so you hearing about them throwing gay people off of roofs or yeah. ma- making women wear masks or whatever. But if you want, you can just go on, go on the current state of politics and um, 
I guess like where do you think things are going from here? I mean, to me, it, it looks like a very good trajection of up an upward trajection in terms of humanity in general. Yeah. But some people don't think that way. Some people think, you know, we could blow ourselves up soon. Yeah. So, yeah. It is always scary when countries have nuclear weapons and stuff and somebody could just press a button. But um, I will say, like, just from studying history, we live in the best time ever and it's not even close. Um, Yeah. You know, people will say, oh, you know, remember this time and that time, like, you know, how connected we are today. The level of poverty is so much lower all across the world than it's ever been. And there's obviously still a lot of work to do, but we're way better than we ever were. Um, But I think... You know, when we look at like leaders say, you look at Trump, Biden, Trudeau, whoever it is, um, I think the big thing that's changed and we've always we've always seen it throughout history is it's all about your PR, how you can market yourself, doesn't matter how good you are as a person. So we just did a podcast on um, the partition of India and a specific individual named Louis Mountbatten, who was a, essentially a royal out of the British um, royal family. And, you know, he was loved back in the day and everybody kind of loved him, but now it's starting to come allegations are coming out about some kind of more sinister things and we kind of learning a little bit more about his decision-making abilities and we really looked back on he had a a pr team just for himself back in like the 30s and 40s um so you know he'd get articles in the newspaper he would you know go do talk to different people and all these sort of things and so it all comes down to really how you can you know have your pr and make sure you kind of control that narrative and that's always been the way it's been and you know we see today you know trump having his rallies it's like that's that's the oldest playbook in the world. You get people um, listening to you and you can control that narrative. And we see it, you know, one of the interesting ways is the way the Roman emperors would do it was they would print coins and they put their face on the coin and they would say something about, or they have like a little inscription about like something that they did because that was really the only way to get, there's no printing press or anything back then. The only way to get information is everybody's got money and they can look at it and go, oh, that's the guy who's in charge. Well, he must be doing something right. And I'm going to, I'm going to say that's, you know, I'm going to follow this guy where today, obviously it's much more grand than that. So I just think the way public relations has changed and now we just have so much more to go off of. Um, but yeah, I like to be, I'm pretty optimistic on, you know, where the world is going. And I think just, we have, you know, the 24 seven news cycle and all that kind of stuff is just so, so different than anything that's ever happened in history. Like the concept of news is a very new concept. I mean, we've had the town crier back in the day saying like, you know, hey, we're at war. This is going on. This is going on. But it talks for twenty minutes, and, and that's it. Um, it's not like that instant information we have today. But I think, yeah, I'm I'm optimistic of where the world's going. And like I said, from a historical standpoint, it's never been a better time to be alive. And yeah, it's kind of just something we got to be grateful of, and you know, try not to get hooked into the you know some of the doom and gloom that we see today. Yeah, I I totally agree, and I think a big part of that is technology. Like I. My girlfriend said, oh, you're you're just talking about technology, but there's so much other stuff like politics. But I kind of feel like technology is such a big part because not only is it doesn't make our lives and people will just people can disagree with this and say it makes our lives worse. But it um, it also connects us like like you said, it connects us in a way to where everybody you no longer think of some other country as like, you know, outsiders or whatever. It's like you, you kind of realize that we're all just we're kind of all in this together and some people are doing maybe not so good stuff, but um, you know, it tells you to like love your neighbor, not hate them, even if they live far mm-hmm. away or whatever, you know? Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah. So, and then, uh, then lastly, I'll just ask you, what do you think about 
some like are you in tech you said you're an engineer but are you are yeah. you in tech i used yeah. to work in tech i'm back in kind of like the logistics world now kind of trucking and warehousing that kind of stuff okay what do you think about all the tech speaking of technology what do you think about all the tech stuff that's going on real quick um elon musk stuff like that like i mean like yeah. you mentioned the pr thing like do you think he's intentionally kind of doing this almost kind of like outrageous pr stuff with with x and twitter like because a lot of people are like, dude, what the like, what is he doing? Like, this billionaire is going on X and for Twitter. I mean, I don't even know what to yeah. call him now, but I mean, do you think he's like, he's just like a genius for what he's doing, or like, do you think that yeah, he's just he's kind def- of like riding the wave of like success, or like, what with <laughs> him do you think? It's like, and I guess great- the tech world in general, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, the tech world's going through a big kind of shift, and just they had a lot of money for a long time, and now they're realizing that, you know having low interest rates and really high margins is not going to last forever. Um, so I think they're trying to shake up a little bit on, on how they do business. But with Elon too, I think like, this is absolutely a genius. Is every decision he makes a genius decision? Probably not. Do I know what the heck he's doing? <laughs> no idea. Um, I'm trying to even think like from a historical standpoint, you know, um, you have guys like Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla, you know, the once in a generation kind of super geniuses, you, they're never totally, I would say, sane when you listen to what they say or what they write. Like I think Tesla had some told the U.S. government that he was he was building a machine that could I can't remember what it was like some like giant death laser sort of thing, and everyone was like, "Oh my god!" And it was never going to be a thing. But he's a super, you know, he's like the mad scientist type. So I think Elon's kind of in that camp. He's the mad scientist with um, a lot of money and <laughs> access to the internet. So maybe a little bit of a new kind of vibe on on the technology world, but I think it's an exciting time. I think like, you know, chat GPT and all that kind of stuff is really changing the way we're going to work and live and do all these sort of things. And it's going to be, I think, interesting from a historical standpoint, when we look back on, you know, we talk about the printing press being a huge thing that was created because now anybody can write a leaflet or a letter and, you know, mass produce it where today now anybody can post on the internet and all that kind of stuff. But now they can, post and do all of these things a lot faster and sometimes without even having to do anything just writing and like hey write me a an article that tells me why biden is better than trump or trump is better than biden and make it really you know clickbait material or something like that and people can just start pumping that stuff out so yeah it'll be a very interesting time from uh you know if we go back to the pr standpoint that's it's going to be very interesting and do you think it keeps getting like better and better or or are you are you like kind of like an optimist when it comes to ai and tech or are you kind of like scared of it i don't know like i i'm excited because i'm always excited by the newest thing kind of thing but and again i've seen too many movies so <laughs> you never know where things can go i'm more worried about us not knowing what's real and what's fake like you're already seeing things on twitter too there was like a picture of uh it was like the Pope wearing like a big puffy jacket. Everyone's like, oh, cool. Look at the Pope. He's wearing this fun jacket. And then everyone's like, actually, that was an AI generated image. And everyone's like, oh, so now I have to question every image that I see online, every video I see online or before, you know, if you saw a picture or video, it was most likely real. Um, so I think there's going to have to be a kind of either a point where we understand it a little bit better, but then also from a, is it going to get better? There's always a diminishing return at some point. Um, but with AI, it's like when it can start training itself, and kind of iterating on itself, then that's when things get scary and you have to kind of think, do we, are we going down the Terminator road here or something? Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned like Elon Musk is like a genius. Some of these tech leaders, 
I mean, do you think that they're just kind of on like a different level in terms of genius? Like Sam, you know, Sam Altman and um, those types of guys, maybe even, I guess, I don't know, Tim Cook doesn't really seem like a genius to me, but it's like they're playing some sort of like 4D chess or something. Like, yeah. is, or, like it's hard to compete with them type thing. Or do you think that they're just kind of like maybe just like working harder, or just luck and just ha- happen to come up with a good idea? Yeah, I think it's a bit of everything. So again, I, I always have a historical example I can give. So one is um, Werner von Braun. So he was actually a, a Nazi um, scientist who was taken by the Americans after World War II and actually worked um, for NASA and was huge in the Apollo programs and the space programs. But he was considered the one of the greatest engineering managers of all time. So he would be like a CEO of one of these big companies today. He was not the best engineer. He was not the best physicist, definitely not the best rocket scientist. But he was very, very, he knew a lot, obviously, about all of those things. Like he had his PhD and things like that. But he said, everyone said he was phenomenal at just getting really smart people together and getting them to do amazing things. And so we look at someone like Tim Cook. Yeah, maybe he doesn't strike you as a genius, but he clearly has a skill to be able to bring a lot of really smart people together and really work within that environment and create some really great stuff where you'll see some, maybe someone like Sam Altman, who's kind of got a smaller team, but maybe I don't know what his kind of role is kind of how he runs his company might be more on that like genius side where he really knows the nuts and bolts versus someone like um, Tim Cook who may not may not be able to take an iPhone apart and tell you exactly how it works, but he knows how to get the people in the room to design it, get the manufacturers to design it, get the marketing team to work well together, get the logistics team to figure out how to get all the parts together and make it all work into one kind of cohesive unit. So yeah, I think it's kind of a bit of everything and it all depends on size of company, what they're actually doing and what their ultimate output will be yeah and i think steve jobs was probably like the best at that right (laughs) definitely yeah um but yeah so lastly um i usually ask like if if there's any movies tv shows podcasts especially um music and then obviously like your your guys's podcasts um and one I wanted to ask you about that you would you probably know about is Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Have you yeah. listened to that one at all? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> a couple of times, we'll say. Yeah. It's yeah. hard. It was I tried listening to it a while ago and it was it was hard for me to get through it because there's there's just so much going yeah. on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you really got to be in a state of mind for something like that cuz he goes really in depth into a lot of um some topics and again, he's the king of I think we all history podcasters look at him and say like, you know, he kind of set the set the standard for what a really good history podcast is. But to your point, like there's now a good mix out there. So like some I could recommend is like obviously history in motion podcast, which is mine, which we think I think is pretty great. So definitely check that out if you're looking for leadership in history. One I really like is it's called the rest is history. So it's um, a couple of British authors um, and podcasters. They do more like 30 to 40 minute episodes and it's a little bit more quick paced and they're really smart and they know. I don't know how they how much how they can fit all that information in their brains, um, but they're they're pretty great. And then one that I really liked as well, it's called um, the History of Rome podcast by um, Mike Duncan. And so he's done he's got like 160 episodes, and he starts right from the founding of Rome all the way up to the fall of Rome. Um, and he kind of has like 20 minute episodes where he kind of goes into individual things. Um, and it's you know a really really great overview of every part of Rome, and you can kind of pick different parts of it if you're interested in you know the time around like Jesus's time, or if you're interested in like Julius Caesar and that and Cleopatra and that whole kind of piece, or you're interested in the fall, you can kind of jump around. So all, all pretty cool stuff to listen to. All right, cool. And yeah, I heard recently about 
one called like the history of the third Reich or something. I don't know if it's a podcast or like a documentary. Mm. Have you heard about that one? Or it the might be, yeah. There's so many of the, anything to do with World War II and especially with Germany. There's, I feel like a million podcasts and, and documentaries out there, but to be honest, I'm a sucker for that stuff. So I'll probably end up watching it, whatever it is. Is that mostly what you listen to as history podcasts? Yeah, I'll do history, a little bit of politics, sports, um, the Wall Street Journal. Um, what's it called? It's called the Journal. It's like 20 minutes every day. And it just kind of gives a little bit of like some current event that's going on. Um, so they were talking about like, uh, the affirmative action ruling in the Supreme Court was one today. And then about, um, there's actually a trucking company in the US that's been in business for 99 years and just went bankrupt the other day. So little things like that. And it kind of keeps you up to speed on what's going on in the world. And I like it because it doesn't get too political. It's just, hey, here's what's going on. We talked to a few people. So it's not like super biased one way or another. Yeah, just the facts. So yeah. Um, yeah, once again, thanks for coming on. And I know it's late out there. And um, I know you have a, partner too that you do your podcast with so if you ever want to if you guys ever want to come back as a team let me know and i'm sure yeah. we can dive into one specific subject so yeah that'd be great micah yeah he's uh he's on vacation this week i would have loved to have him here with us but yeah we can find another time and yeah there's we got a whole we had a history of the entire human race to talk about so we're definitely not short on material all right sounds good thanks guys uh talk to you next time bye